It's always nice to be invited to uh, open the Word of God with you. It's a privilege and an honor to be here to do that. And uh, it's nice to hear how things are working out with the new building. And, you know, one thing that you didn't mention, they built all these new roads just in time. It's a good bonus, isn't it? So are you pumped up to be here this morning? I was thinking about exuberance today and... uh, when my daughter, Kanani, was about three or four years old, uh, when I think of exuberance, I picture her. Back in those days, I used to travel a lot, um, almost 200 nights a year. And I would come home, so every couple of days, I'd end up coming home, and, and uh, she would come to the door when she heard me coming in, and she'd be like a little Beatles groupie, just dancing and shaking her head and everything. Just, it made me feel so happy. I'd drop my bags and pick her up and, and hug her. She was exuberant happy to see me, and she's not quite so exuberant today. Um, well, she's 15 now, and, and, um, but, and her youth group went on a, what they call overnight. It's like the Super Bowl thing they do here, so the idea is you stay up all night. So um, still don't fall asleep today. As long as I'm speaking about uh, Kanani, a couple of weeks ago, she was uh, selected to do a radio commercial for Boston Children's Hospital, and so we went up, my, my wife and Kanai and I went up to Boston to uh, Mix One Studios right across the street from Fenway Park so you can get a little picture of, of where it is. And we got there a little bit early. We went in and, and uh, sat down. They brought us into this little lounge area. And then a woman from the studio came in and said, Kanani, come here. She said, look in that room right there. She said, that's John Mayer. And so being the clued-in dad that I am, I said, who's John Mayer? So Kanani gave me one of those, duh, you know, pulled out her iPod and showed me one of his songs. And, you know, and, and I said, oh, oh, okay. And so then the, the people that were doing the uh, um, uh, shoot with her came in. There were two or three women that, that were uh, kind of in charge of the operation. And they heard that John Mayer was in the studio. And they turned into like little schoolgirls, all that same kind of exuberance. And I was like, so who is this guy really, you know? And... Uh, I, I thought, that's interesting, but it, it, a couple of days later, it gets, it gets better. A couple of days later, I was at my boss's house for dinner, and she, his wife, I hadn't seen his wife in, in some time, and she said, how are your kids doing? So I told her this story had just happened, you know, and so she stopped me, and she said, do you hear that music playing, background music they had on in the house? I said, yeah. She goes, that's John Mayer. <laughs> I said, oh. I was still waiting for the world to change. Um, I thought, how did everybody else know? Because I hadn't asked Jennifer Aniston is the problem. But let let me... So so this leads me to this question. If, if, If I told you that John Mayer would be here next week, would you come? Would you tell some friends? I mean, would it be like, you know, Grammy winner is gonna be here at church? Um... You know, what if I said, hey, next week, because he's not playing anymore because their season's over, Big Poppy is going to be here, and he's going to come to church here. I mean, would it affect church attendance if Kevin Garnett came? Or maybe you're not into sports. How about if Bob Dylan was going to be here? You know, would you tell a few people? I know who he is. Or Bill Gates. You have to be an entertainer, right? Um, people like to be in the same room as Bill Gates. It's weird. People want to see what it's like to be near the richest man in the world. Or Will Smith. Or any, pick, pick, your, pick your person like that. 
If, if you knew, if Rich said, hey, listen, next week so-and-so is going to be here, they might have to have two services, get extra chairs. Now, what if, what if Rich said, hey, an angel's going to be here? Right? And you'll be able to see this angel. Would you come? Would you tell your friends? You'd probably have some exuberance about a famous person or better yet, an, an angel. But uh, what about Jesus? Right? I know we don't brush it off. It, it, Jesus is here, is he not? Isn't that what he said? Where two or three of you gather in my name. And we didn't come here for breakfast this morning, right? We didn't come here to, to do fantasy football. What did we come here for? We came here to worship God. We came here in the name of Jesus. And he said, I'm here with you. Now, a little aside, you may have noticed that um, my wife and daughter and I haven't been here much recently. We've been going to John Mayer's church. Um, actually, we've been uh, Maple Root Baptist Church over in Coventry. Their pastor resigned, and uh, so they've asked me to fill in while they look for a new pastor. And so that's where we've been, and we've started there a study in the book of Hebrews. And uh, it's been something I've, I've been... Uh, loving the study of Hebrews. It's a unique letter. It's the only letter like it in the Bible to a small church, maybe a church not too much different than this. And uh, I can't do the whole book in one Sunday here. unless Well, we could do the whole book in one Sunday if you're really excited about being in church <laughs> and you don't care that the Patriots are on at 1 o'clock. But uh, don't worry. I know. See, my daughter always goes, you're preaching? Just don't preach too long. So I'm going to catch it now for mentioning so many things about Kanani. Um, but I'd like to share with you a little bit about what God's been putting on my heart as I, as I look at the book of Hebrews. And I, I call it the book of God's great speech. And I'm, I may be the first one to call it that, but during this political season, reading Hebrews makes me think of great speeches. And as kind of a context or a setting for where I want to go with this today, since it is just a couple of weeks from the next big election in this country, I want to share with you some excerpts from great speeches of the past. Now, this first one, this person could not be here. He's passed on a long time ago. But you might know who it was. This was spoken in a speech back in 1775. And just the very end of it, he said, is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, almighty God. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. Do you know who said that? Patrick Henry. Yeah. About 90 years later, our country, which started back at the time that Patrick Henry uttered those words, was in the midst of a great civil war. And we had a great president, Abraham Lincoln. And he gave an address during that war that became known as the Gettysburg Address. And it was a very short address, and I'll read just a small portion of it. He said, The world will little note, nor long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here, that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. Inspiring words. 
99 years later, civil war far behind us, we were in a race for space. And President John F. Kennedy at Rice University gave a speech that he called the space effort, but became known more popularly as we choose to go to the moon, because in part, he said, we choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon not because it is easy, but because it is hard, because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills, because that challenge is one that we are willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone, and one which, he, which we intend to win. If I were to say, my fellow citizens, that we shall send to the moon 240,000 miles away from the control station in Houston, a giant rocket more than 300 feet tall, the length of this football field, made of new metal alloys, some of which have not yet been invented, capable of standing heat and stresses, several times more than have ever been experienced, fitted together with a precision better than the finest watch, carrying all of the equipment needed for propulsion, guidance, control, communications, food, and survival on an untried mission to an unknown celestial body, and then return it safely to Earth, re-entering the atmosphere at speeds of over 25,000 miles per hour, causing heat about half that of the temperature of the sun, and do all this, and do it right, and do it the first time, and do it before this decade is out. We must be bold. Inspiring words. And you know what? Less than seven years later, Neil Armstrong stepped out of Apollo 11 onto the moon and uttered another great line that we all remember. One small step for a man, one giant leap for mankind. Sometimes great speeches are inspirational, we can do it kinds of talk that lead to commitment and action. Sometimes, other times, it's tough talk. You'll remember many of us were alive at, when these words were uttered Another great American president, Ronald Reagan, standing at the Berlin Wall. In part, he said, Mr. Uh, General Secretary Gorbachev, if you seek peace, if you seek prosperity for the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe, if you seek liberalization, come here to this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, open this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. This wall will fall, for it cannot withstand faith, it cannot withstand truth. The wall cannot withstand freedom. And then we all remember... Earlier this decade, uh, the events of 9-11, and just nine days later, President Bush gave a speech, and there are a couple of famous lines in there. I'm just going to read a, a short part of it. He said, tonight we are a country awakened to danger and called to defend freedom. Our grief has turned to anger and anger to resolution. Whether we bring our enemies to justice or bring justice to our enemies, justice will be done. Every nation and every region now has a decision to make. Either you are with us, or are, you with, or you are with the terrorists. I want to share one more with you. And of all the great Americans whose speeches I've shared experts, excerpts from, maybe my favorite of all is this one. 1963, and you'll know who it is as soon as I start to read it. I still have a dream. I, it is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day on the Red Hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at a table of brotherhood. I have a dream that my four children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I have a dream today, I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted, every hill and mountain shall be made low, the rough places will be made plain, and the crooked places will be made straight, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. And if America is to be this great nation, 
This must become true. So let freedom ring from the prodigious hilltops of New Hampshire. Let freedom ring from the mighty mountains of New York. Let freedom ring from the heightening Alleghenies of Pennsylvania. Let freedom ring from the snow-capped Rockies of Colorado. Let freedom ring from the curvaceous peaks of California. But not only that, let freedom ring from Stone Mountain of Georgia. Let freedom ring from Lookout Mountain of Tennessee. Let freedom ring from every hill and every molehill of Mississippi. From every mountainside, let freedom ring. When we let freedom ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of that old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last. How do those words make you feel? Yeah, inspired, hopeful, encouraged, confident. I can't read those words without thinking about the greatest statement ever made about freedom. It's found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And he's not talking just about bondage to another human being. He's talking about ultimate freedom. Freedom from sin and freedom from death. God gave a speech too. You can turn to Hebrews chapter 1. God's speech is far greater than all these excerpts I've read this morning. And it's emphasized and articulated eloquently in these verses in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1, first three verses say, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets, at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Just 86 words but more powerful than anything else I've read this morning. Now, my wife correctly pointed out to me, we were talking about this, and she said, that's not really a speech. No, you're right, it's the, it's the beginning of a letter to a church. And you could take it as a speech if someone was giving it verbally, but the speech, the speech is Jesus. See, where it says, in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, the Greek is in huios, and it means literally in son. He has spoken to us in son. That's the language he spoke. He spoke to us in son, emphasizing that the person of his son contains everything. Jesus is the ultimate medium of communication. God has spoken to us in his son. Jesus is God's great speech. Let me just read the words again to you, just 86 of them. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Let the power and precision of those words permeate and penetrate 
in your mind. Do you see how great this is? God has spoken to us in Son, by Jesus. Jesus' word is final and complete. He has greater authority than the prophets. He has the ultimate authority, and it will fully and finally be be realized when he comes again. Do you believe he's coming again? Sooner now than it was yesterday, right? There's a number of things that are found in these three verses. Let me share with you just a few. It says here that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. Radiance, not a reflection, not a byproduct, but light streaming forth from the source. That's what radiance means. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. If you've experienced Jesus, you've experienced God. And it says that he's the exact representation of God's being. It says no one has ever seen God. But you have if you've seen Jesus. The exact representation of all that God is. If you have the King James Version, it says the express image. But whatever your translation, the original language, leaves no doubt as to the message. Jesus is God. And it says here that he provided purification for sins. Hallelujah. That's it. That's the message. He provided purification for sins. Hope where there is no hope. You may not remember, but some time ago, I had the opportunity to speak here, and I mentioned the first verse of the book of Genesis, a verse of great hope. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and you go down through that chapter, and it says, and it was good, and he created man, and he said it was very good. And then you get to the last verse of that book, and it says... And they embalmed him and put him in a coffin in Egypt about Joseph. So we're going from hope to death and no hope. But in the middle there, there's all kinds of hope. And it's all about pointing to God's plan for redemption for human beings, Jesus. Do you have an answer for God? What will you say when you stand before him? Because we will, you know, all, all of us one day stand before God. And you only have two choices. I did it my way, and, you know, kind of maybe humble yourself a little bit and say, you know, but I'm, I'm no worse than the next guy, and so, you know, I did a lot of good stuff, so maybe you'll let me in. That's not how I'm going. I'm going to say, I'm guilty. God Almighty. I mean, we won't even be able to stand. Guilty. Guilty. I fell so far short of your ways. You're righteous. I'm sinful. I have no basis in my own for having any merit with you whatsoever. I deserve death. I deserve the punishment, whatever punishment you give. But I claim the redemption that you offered. I accept your provision. See, God has an answer for you and for me. He overcame the power of sin and death for you. It says it right in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. It says it was God's will that Jesus should taste death for everyone. And if you go to verse 14 of that same chapter, it says, He shared in our humanity so that by His death He might destroy Him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil. And so go back to Hebrews chapter 1 and these first three verses. It says so much, so much packed in there. It says Jesus is the heir of all things. Because He did that, 
because he fulfilled God's requirement and made us acceptable to God if we place our faith in him. He's the heir of all things. He inherits everything. But it says more than that in there, doesn't it? It says he created all things. He created everything, and he's the heir of everything. And it says something else. The ongoing work that happens now. He sustains all things. He keeps it all going. He's active. How does he do it? It says it right there. How does he sustain all things? By his word. Incredible, isn't it? He created it out of nothing. And he holds it together and sustains it by speaking. He's the uncreated creator. Awesome. Think of it. He speaks, and it is. Jim mentioned it in his prayer this morning. It's better than that. Not only is he awesome and powerful and magnificent and so mighty, we think he's unapproachable, but no. He wants to have a personal relationship with you and with me. He wants to be intimate with us. There's a verse familiar to most of us, Revelation 3.20. Jesus speaking to the church. And he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He comes to us and invites us to have fellowship and relationship. Jesus said, the, the uncreated creator says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I'll come in and fellowship with him and him with me. It's incredible. But don't miss this. In those first three verses, it says that he sat down. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's metaphorical. And it means that his work was finished. He did it once for all, the just for the unjust. Unlike the human prophets and priests who preceded him, Jesus finished the work. No more sacrifice needs to be made or can be made. Jesus' work was necessary for our salvation and it is sufficient for all people for all times. And so I ask you today, where are you on this Sunday morning? Do you know him? Is he your Savior? That's that question. And are you walking with him, trusting him? That's asking, is he your Lord on a day-by-day basis? I want to share with you, uh, because he can say it better than I can, pastor named S.M. Lockridge. Because I was saying when I got to that, he's my king. And S.M. Lockridge said he's my king too. Tony, if you'd play that clip, listen to this. The Bible says my king is a seven-way king. He's the king of the Jews. That's a racial king. He's the king of Israel. That's a national king. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. Well, I wonder do you know him? (laughs) David said, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the fundament showeth his handiwork. My king uh, is, a, is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his shoreless supply. 
No barrier can hinder him from pouring out his blessings. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands in the solitude of himself. He's august and he's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He is the supreme problem in high criticism. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He is the coronal necessity for spiritual religion. He's the miracle of the age. He's, he, yes, he is. He is the superlative of everything good that you choose to call him. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. Well, this is my king. He is the key. He's the key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his office is manifold. His promise is sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. Uh, I wish I could describe him to you, but he's in this. Yeah! 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 He's indescribable. Yes, he is with God. He. He's indescribable. Yes, he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. Well, you can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your hand. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah! That's my king. That's my king. Yeah. And thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever and ever. How long is that? And ever, and ever, and when you get through with all of the forever, then amen. Good God Almighty. 
Amen. 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 Another great speech. Now there's a man who's excited about going to church. So I ask you, what if Jesus were here today? He is. That's what that grand opening statement in Hebrews chapter 1 is all about. Can't get out of my head, he said. Ray Stedman, the commentator, said in these verses, seven things to take away. He portrays Jesus as the, these verses portray Jesus as supreme prophet, unique owner of all things, the uncreated creator, the exact image of God's being, the sustainer of the universe, the sacrificing priest who cleanses sin, and the victorious conqueror who occupies the place of honor above all his creation. His creation. He made it. He sustains it. He oversees it. He redeems it. Jesus is God. He's here today. Think of it. The greatest person who ever walked on this planet. The only one self-existent and eternal. Think of that. Can you get your arms around it? Self-existent and eternal. Not created. The uncreated creator. Jesus is God's ultimate revelation and he's God's ultimate and only solution. I wish I could explain him to you. Jesus stands alone. He's unique. If I had to put it in one sentence, here's what I'd say. Jesus uniquely brings God to men. He's God's great speech. Jesus brings God to men, and only Jesus brings men to God. Jesus brings God to men, and Jesus alone brings men to God. No other way. He's far above all others, and he's here today. With what kind of expectations did you come to church? Did you come expecting to meet Jesus? You see, uh, just a little background on this book of Hebrews. As I said, it was to a church, but it wasn't a church exactly like this. It was a church likely undergoing persecution, probably a small church of Jewish believers in Italy before the destruction of Jerusalem. And they were being pressured to compromise, to revert to Judaism, to just say, all right, all right, Jesus is not the only way. Maybe he's just a great angel. And there's some verses here in chapter 1 that talk about that, about Jesus being superior to the angel, superior to the prophets, superior to Moses. So the primary message is that Jesus is the revelation, the truth, the answer has no comparison. He's God. He's supreme. He's preeminent. Do you believe that today? I do. Raise your hand if you believe that. Jesus is preeminent, supreme. He's the only way. I believe that. And if you do, then here's the message for us from this book of Hebrews. Don't drift away. Don't drift away. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. It says, We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. That's what S.M. Lockridge was talking about. You see, I 
kind of jokingly asked you, would you be more likely to come to church if John Mayer were going to be here or Big Poppy or Bob Dylan or Will Smith or someone like that? But let me ask you a different way. Would you still come to church? Would you as readily come to church here if it meant likely persecution? If you thought there was a real chance that just because you came to Calvary Chapel, you'd go out in a parking lot and your tires would be slit or your car would be keyed or your windshield smashed, that if you stopped in the local Dunkin' Donuts, you'd get dirty looks. You might have to fear that there's something besides sugar in your coffee for only one reason, because you claim to be a believer in Christ and they know that because you attend Calvary Chapel. It doesn't happen, does it? just because you go to Calvary Chapel. We don't face that pressure or that, that, that kind of persecution. And so what does Satan do? What's his strategy? His strategy is to get us to drift away. That's what that warning's about. See, we hear the inspiring message of S.M. Lockridge. We read these words. It's easy to get pumped up. It's also easy to drift away. And so the, the message of chapter 2, verse 1 is get refocused. Put your eyes back on the mark and don't take them off. So it says we must pay more careful attention. Get focused to what we've heard so we don't drift away because if we don't, we will drift away. Now we all live close enough to the water here, being in this part of the country, that we can get a good mental picture of that. I went out fishing earlier this year with some of the the baseball players that I work with and um, we were out in a boat and you know, we were out about five or six miles, and, you know, the captain would say, you know, everybody put your lines in, and we'd be fishing, and then about five or ten minutes later, he'd start the boat and go a little further. I thought, man, we're getting far out there. And then I said, Scott, how far are we going? He goes, well, we're, we're just staying in the same place. I said, no, hey, you keep starting the boat and going. He said, no, because we drift. I said, oh, I didn't notice. So that's drifting is about. You don't notice. He goes... I can show you how you notice. He said, see that buoy over there? He stopped the boat, turned the boat off. He said, watch that buoy. I said, wow, that's moving. He said, no, the buoy's anchored. It's still, we're moving. So I didn't notice. Because I had to fix my eye. When I fixed my eye on the marker, then I noticed. Same thing if you're out in the waves, right? And you're jumping in the waves. If you turn your back to the shore and look at the ocean, about half an hour later, turn back and look at the shore, you might not recognize it. What happened? You drifted without realizing it. Right? And that's what the warning is. Great language here. Don't drift away. See, the temptation for us is that the things of life, the busyness of the day, the challenges of family, the things going on at work, what's on TV, all the stuff in our lives cause us to drift away. So the exhortation is fix your eyes on Jesus. In fact, if you go to chapter 12, verse 2, it says that. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Says it several places in here. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't just acknowledge that he's God. Stay close to him. Obey his command. He stands at the door and knocks. Open the door. What does that mean? Be in the word. You see, the writer of this letter makes a, an important point here about not ignoring such a great salvation. How will we escape, he says, if we ignore such a great salvation? I want to say something about that. Because he says great salvation, what does he mean? The, yeah, the eternal life. But the inclusive work, the inclusive work 
of God toward men. It exists in three tenses. Salvation does. All of us who have placed our faith in Christ have been saved from the guilt and penalty of sin. We've been justified. It's a Christian lingo for it. Justification. Just as if I never sinned. I'm made clean before God. I'm made acceptable to God. That happens at the moment you place your trust in Christ. You're justified. You're saved from the guilt and penalty of sin. But every day, every day as we walk with Christ, we're being saved from what? From the habit and dominion of sin. Right? Because we have that old nature. And I don't know about you, but I can testify. It draws me away. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. I want to fix my eyes on him because I drift away easily. But I want to recognize, I want to claim it. I've been saved from my sins. I'm being saved from the habit and dominion of sin as I press into him and have fellowship with him. And the third tense is that as Christians, we will be saved from what? At, at Jesus' return, we will be saved from all of the bodily infirmities that we suffer today. And more than that, we'll be saved from his judgment and his wrath that will be poured out on his cursed planet, cursed by sin. And we'll go to live with him forever, it says, in a place where there's no more sorrow, no more pain, no more death, no more sin. Amen? See, it's safe to say you'd be excited if you knew there was going to be an angel here today, right? Or one of these famous people. An angel would be better than a famous person. But you'd probably come just for a famous person. I probably would too. But in a very real way, Jesus, the superior one, Jesus, the son, Jesus, the great speech of God, the creator of everything, is here. And better than that, He's here because he wants to meet with us. And he'll never let us down. You see, sometimes, you know, you want to meet a famous person, and then you meet that famous person, and then you kind of wish you hadn't, because it wasn't all there you thought it'd be cracked up to be. They're just another person, just another sinner like you and me. But Jesus says in here in Hebrews, chapter 4, right at the end, it says, he was tempted in every way, just like we are, yet was without sin. And then it says, because of that, let us come boldly before the throne of grace. And he will help us in our time of need. We can always go to him confidently. Jesus will never fail you. In Hebrews chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, it says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul. See, so don't drift away. Where's the anchor? Jesus is the anchor, right? But it says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure, It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. That's astounding. See, nobody could go to the Holy of Holies. God was unapproachable because of our sin. But the hope that we have as an anchor for the soul is in that sanctuary behind the curtain, but the curtain was torn in two from top to bottom because Jesus went in there as the great priest who finished the work, and he went in there on our behalf. He went in there to do it for us. Jesus identifies with us. And he is God's merciful plan for providing for us. He's God's great speech. So, I won't be here to go through Hebrews anymore with you.
But I encourage you, read this great letter. 13 chapters. You can read it in one sitting. Read this great letter to the church. Not just to the church. that It was originally written to a little church probably in Italy, but it's written to the church universal for all time. And as you do, my encouragement to you today is to live confidently in the power of God's holy word. See, part of our not drifting away is being in this book, personally and individually, committed to it, committed to doing what it says. See, Jesus said, he who loves me is the one who obeys my commands. And we know what they are. The full revelation is in here. Live confidently in the power of his holy word. And more than that, live confidently in his desire for daily fellowship with you. Take him up on that offer. Meet with him and trust him, no matter what the circumstances in your life are. We're all buffeted by the circumstances. That's what causes us to drift away. Trust him no matter what. I'm preaching to me. I need to hear this because I don't want to drift away anymore. And in, fa- in, in, in fact, if we do that, if we, if we live confidently in him and on the promise that he gives us, see, we can be bold. It says, come confidently to the throne of grace because God wants to help you. So as we do that, as we press into him and we trust him no matter what, we won't drift away, we'll grow. Amen? Father in heaven, we just thank you this morning for your great love for us. We thank you that not only did you die in our place and save us, but you made sure that this book was written and maintained over the centuries so that we would have it today. I pray that you would help us to press in to relationship with you and to follow the guide that you've given us. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the living, true, eternal God, the only wise God, and that you've made provision for us and continue to do so. I pray that each one here today would walk confidently in faith. Lord, and any, anyone here who doesn't know you, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, it's as simple as this. It's just saying to him, to God, I know, I know that I don't measure up to your holy, righteous requirement. And I confess today to you my sin. And I ask that you would save me from my sin. Thank you for the provision you've made for me in Jesus Christ. And if if that's your prayer, then you're saved. You're justified. And God will continue his sustaining work of salvation in your life. And so, Father, we just commit this day to you. We commit our lives to you. We commit our work to you. We commit our families to you. We commit every circumstance uh, to you, and and especially those things over which we have no control. We just give them to you, Lord. We ask for your blessing, for your guidance, and for your power in our lives. May your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.